Today we speak with the one and only Dr. Rajan Sankaran. I don't even know how to describe how incredible it was to speak with him. Uh, it was an absolute dream come true. He is such a guru and such a master of homeopathy, and yet such an incredible, down-to-earth, approachable, and lovely man at the same time. So this has been a very surreal experience for me, and uh, I know that you're going to absolutely love this podcast. We cover quite a few things. One of it is his new book, Manji the Boatman, and I'll put the link in the podcast. I urge all of you listening to hop onto Amazon type it in and get it on Kindle and read it straight away or purchase the hard copy if you prefer, but read it. It is so incredibly good. I uh, just found out about the book a couple of days before the podcast and downloaded it straight away and read it all in one sitting. It was around midnight when I finished and I couldn't put it down. It was so incredibly good. Um, I don't even know how you would describe the book. I, I would say it's kind of like a spiritual handbook, I guess. It's a meaning of life existential type. Um, you know, if that's your vibe, this book will totally, totally resonate with you. Just to read a little bit of an excerpt from the book for you. Uh, this is on page 183 of the book. Truth cannot be this simple, I thought to myself. That there are libraries full of scripture must mean that truth is more complicated than this. Monks spend entire lifetimes trying to reach there. Surely it cannot be that close. I asked him, what happens when one awakens to the truth? He replied, what is truth? The best way to define truth is, it is. The way to live the truth is to be who you are, to be aware of what you experience from moment to moment. When you have that awareness, you distance yourself from the experience and become the space where all experiences play out. What changes for you if you do that? I asked, wanting to know what I was going to get from this knowledge. He explained, On the outside, things will look the same. You will still go through highs and lows. You will still experience fear, anger, and emotions. You will still get agitated. The only difference is that you will know that at the deepest level, none of this is you. That while you live this life as an individual and play your role, you are not really that identity. You are presence itself. It is as if you are an actor playing your part to perfection while knowing that you are not the character you are playing. Will this realization solve all the problems that our mind and body go through as well? If I realize that I am not the mind or the body, can I stop paying attention to them and just be as a spirit? I asked. In the absolute sense, we are all the spirit. However, we have to also accept that in the relative sense, the body and mind are also real. So that will just give you a tiny little taster of this incredible book, Manji, The Boatman. I think you will really like it. Rajan also speaks in this episode about another book that he has got out called From Shadow to Light. And this is about his work on wise. And uh, he will be going into that as well. Also check out sampurnamhealing.com. And check out his Raga Therapy app. And he's also got some meditation videos. So this will all be in the show notes. And yeah, have a listen. Some people have asked me in the past, by the way, you know, I hear you talk about show notes. Where are they? If you click on the actual episode, wherever you are listening to this podcast, it will expand and give you more details about that episode itself. And if you really have trouble finding it, just send me an email, info at eugeniekruger.com. 
I also want to ask you a really big favor. If you are in any way able to support this podcast, please visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash hangout. This podcast really does take me a lot of work and I am now paying an editor because I don't have the time to edit this podcast myself. So the payment for the editor is coming out of my own pocket. Uh, it really would mean the world to me if you're able to make a one-off donation to this podcast, just to help me pay the editor to edit an episode and uh, also the social media and everything else that goes along with creating something like this. Truly, it would mean so much to me. And if you want to become a patron of the show, and that will be a monthly donation of $5 a month, you're welcome to do that as well. That's also in the show notes. But yeah, if you're able to help me out, I would really appreciate that. Um, just visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash hangout. Enjoy this very special episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to speak with the one and only Dr. Rajan Sankaran. It is such a huge privilege to have you here. Thank you so much for your time and welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I wonder, can we just um, hop straight into your new book? And you were just asking me if, if I've read it. And Kashiti, who is on your team, she emailed me Monday night, today's Friday, and she said, Dr. Rajan has another new book. And I'm like, what? Another book? And it was about eight o'clock at night. And I went straight on to Amazon and I downloaded it on Kindle and I read it in one sitting. It was about midnight when I finished, but I couldn't put it down. It is so good. Do, do you maybe want to tell our listeners a little bit about this book? It's called Manji the Boatman. And I think Manji means boatman in Hindi, right? Yes, right. Yeah. Do, do you, I mean, I could tell my version of the, of the book, but maybe yeah. do you want, want to tell our listeners? Well, I would like to hear your version. Hear my first. version. Well, firstly, yeah, yeah. firstly, I love that you dedicated to Misha and I love his photo on the front there. And I love that he's on that little wooden boat on the river. And I could feel him smiling on you with this incredible book that you've written. And if I had to sum it up, I would say it's kind of like a, like a spiritual guidebook almost. And there's actually another homeopath that gave me um, a book as a gift a, a while ago. It is called The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Yeah, and yeah. It, this your book kind of made me feel a little bit like that, that it's just this incredible spiritual lessons that somehow felt like it was completely new. But at the same time, my soul felt that it resonated with it. And this is something that I know within myself, but didn't know that I know. So you've got all these beautiful, beautiful lessons in there. And maybe I could just quote one of the lessons for our listeners because I think uh, anyone that knows your works, they like. I thought this was a homeopathic book, so when I started reading it, I, I was really flabbergasted that it was just. I mean, there's homeopathic principles in there in a way, but it's just you know about awareness and consciousness. One one of the quotes I really love is, "You wrote the real guru is the one sitting within you. It is the deepest wisdom in your being. It is not even you. It is the higher consciousness that dwells in you." And when the mind is out of the way, the pure being shines in you as the guru. And I really love that because we all have that in us, but it just needs to, we just be, need to kind of be reminded of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the other part I really loved is when you said about rolling down the grassy hills because, with Genshin Lama, because in your eulogy to, to Misha Norland, you wrote, you said in there about 
Misha telling you, come on, let's roll down the grassy hill. So I was, I kind of felt like maybe there was a little bit of Misha coming in there in the book as well. Yeah, yeah. So Misha has been a friend for the last uh, 30, 40 years or something like that. And we had been very, very close. And in fact, the picture which I put on the book is something that I clicked when we were on a trip to Kerala in oh. South India. And we spent, we, we had many journeys together, both geographically and spiritually. And uh, in, in a sense, he was also one of the boatmen in my life. So that's the reason I dedicated the book to him. And he had, and in fact, um, when I was writing the book, chapter by chapter, I would send it to him by mm. email. And he would review them and send it back to me and give his suggestions and thoughts. So he's very much a part of the book. And you will be surprised that when I completed the book and uh, I wrote the final chapter and the whole thing was in one piece and I sent it to him. I said, Misha, this is the whole book in one piece. And I never got a reply oh. because that's the day he died. Wow. So it's an interesting, as if this was the last task that he had to kind of fulfill mm. to help me write that book. And I yeah. know Misha also has a very good sense of humor. I never got to meet him in person, unfortunately, but his son Luke is a big inspiration, a big help to me. And um, I think Misha would have loved the ending of your book. I laughed so hard at your at the ending of your book. And I was like turning the pages like, there's got to be more. But my husband said, why are you laughing so loud? It's like the middle of the night. And I was like, oh, this was the best ending of a book ever. And I'm going to leave it there for the audience just to tease them because they're not going to have to get the book and read it. It was so funny. I laughed my head off. <laughs> I, right. was not, I was not expecting that. <laughs> right. Oh, no, yeah. that was beautiful. So, you know, there are, in fact, two ways to, to look at the world and two ways to, in fact, to live. And uh, one way is the, the way of intellect and thought and logic and reason and how it should be and what we should be doing and thinking and feeling, etc. Mm. And the other way is, uh, is to let be what there is, you know, and be that what you are not what you should be or what you should be thinking or reasoning, etc. So the other way is, is to live your, live your truth, you know, to walk to your own drummer. Mm. And um, yeah, and this way, it's not logical, it's not reasonable, but it's how it is. You know, um, in India, we say that a spiritually enlightened being, how can you recognize him? And somebody says, you will see him either behaving like a child or like a madman. That's very interesting. In Sanskrit, like a child or like a madman. And what's the commonality between a child and a madman? That they live according to their... Uh, you know, their own instinct in some sense, you know, they are not listening to socially approved and, uh, you know, things that come from memory and things that come from certain 
you know, definitions, et cetera, et cetera. They just are who they are, you know. They can go in the water and they can jump up and down and, uh, you know, mess their clothes and be so happy about it. And uh, it's that quality of living, of being, and uh, also being aware. And being aware of what? Not being aware of what is reasonable or what, you know, planning and, uh, you know, uh, going by your concepts and your, you know, fixed ideas, etc. But being aware of what's going on inside of you. Mm. And what is going on inside of you is not in your uh, control even. It is what it is, you know. So there are thoughts and emotions and experiences and sensations and uh, and all of this is uh, it's it's like a river that is flowing inside you you know coming and going coming and going you know constant mm. and uh, can you stand on the bank of the river and just watch what comes and goes and if you can do that then um, what happens is that a distance develops between your thought and you you become the observer your mind becomes the object of observation and when that happens then you find yourself in a much more equanimous space than you are flowing with the river and in the storm and all of that there's a poem called if and it begins with if you can dream and not let dreams be your master if you can think and not let thoughts be your aim then yours is the earth and all that's in it and what's more you'll be a man my son this is a poem i remember called if so yes you can think you can dream you can plan you can do everything but if you can also parallelly take distance from all of that and just be aware at some level be awareness itself then uh, life has a completely different uh, quality about it that you are not being thrown helter skelter in the confusion of thoughts and feelings and emotions and anxieties and fears and up and down with pleasure and pain and you are that no you are not that you are not that alone you are also the observer of all of this and you are also at the same time the space in which both the experience and the observer exist you are just the being itself not even this uh, identity that you have assumed but uh, in fact a much 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 larger unlimited timeless space of pure awareness beingness of presence and that you are that's what you are so awareness is the key word in all of this and uh, that's where actually uh, one relates to homeopathy because uh, in homeopathy also the key word is let everything be as it is and be aware of it so when the homeopath asks you for example what your problem you say i have a headache 
he doesn't say to you, why do you have a headache? For what reason? <laughs> do you have a tumor? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have that? Or can I label it as migraine? Can I label it as tension headache? No, no, he doesn't do any labeling. He just says, describe your headache. Turn your eyes inward and start to become aware of the quality of your headache, the sensation, the experience, the emotion of your headache, you know, and uh, describe that to me. And that's it. That's the homeopathic case taking, you know, is, is kind of asking you to be more and more aware of what's going on. That's it. And from that awareness, we find something that matches that experience, uh, you know, in terms of a, a remedy. So, and the remedy is also awareness because the way we bring a remedy to life is to let a healthy volunteer take it and become aware of the experience that that remedy produces in him. So, in fact, awareness is the operational word in homeopathy. So, as I told you, there are two ways of being or living or thinking. One is to think what is and what should be and what is reasonable and what is logical. And the other way is to experience and to be aware of the experience and not have to label it or, you know, give a reason to it or explain it or interpret it or classify it. Just be with it. Be with it. And be with it with your full awareness. And in fact, that awareness itself has a deeply healing quality which homeopathy taps into. Mm. So the homeopathic remedy, in fact, is a mirror of what's going on inside you. So when you go to a homeopath and you say, you know, I'm sleepless, you know, my mind is too active. I cannot stop it. And the whole night, you know, there are thoughts and activities and all of that going on. I cannot stop. I cannot sleep. Give me a remedy. So the homeopath may prescribe him the remedy coffee, which is made out of coffee. Because that's what coffee does. It produces this kind of stimulation of the mind that doesn't let you sleep. Mm. That's why people take coffee sometimes so that they, they, they get stimulated, you know. They have to study or they have to do something else or drive that a sounds car. sounds familiar. Yeah. And uh, so coffee basically mirrors when you give the remedy kofia to this man whose problem is sleeplessness, his inner state is mirrored by the remedy. And it, when you see a mirror, what happens to you is you become aware. You see, a mirror is awareness, in fact. So it's the awareness that heals either through a remedy. And uh, in fact, that principle of healing through awareness or healing through mirroring is not uh, limited to the homeopathic treatment alone or through the pills or through, you know, the homeopathic uh, dosage or something like that. It's a principle that is applied unconsciously also sub, uh, in many, many areas of life. You know, when you look around, how do we heal, you know, without, forget homeopathy as a system, even if it doesn't exist. How do we heal 
we heal through the homeopathic principle unconsciously and uh, that's really what you know is worth looking at because then you understand this principle of mirroring and awareness as the key to healing you know there there is a, a story which is told often in india especially that one woman her child died a young boy he died and uh, this was the time of the buddha and she took the dead body of her young son and placed that body at the feet of the buddha and he said uh, you have to bring him to life you know you are divinity you know you can do it and buddha tried to convince her that it's not possible but she was not you know listening to him and finally the buddha yielded and he said yes i am going to bring him back to life but on a single condition that you bring me a grain of rice from the house of someone who has had no grief Mm. so the woman left the body there and she went from house to house saying have you had any grief and the people in the house would make her sit down and they would tell the story of their grief you know who they lost and what happened to them etc mm-hmm. then she went to the second house and the third house and by the time she went to the fourth house the desire to bring her son back to life had disappeared and she went to the buddha and she said i am now aware that grief is a part of life and i accept it so buddha in fact was practicing homeopathy without knowing it isn't it he was mirroring for her her own grief he knew that when she would ask people they would tell her stories which mirrored her own state so that's how we console people when we go to somebody in grief we don't tell them jokes you know oh let me tell you two men went to a bar you know we don't do that we say to them you know i have been through this myself you know mm-hmm. yesterday i had a patient in my clinic and uh, he was a 73 year old man and he he was a very anxious about you know certain court cases that were going on about his property about his land and in india unfortunately court cases take a hell of a lot of time now we are talking of 20 30 40 50 years sometimes these cases spill wow. over to the next generation also you know so this is how the court system works in india and this man he was saying you know my life is ebbing away and none of my matters are sorted and what's going to happen to my children and all of that and he became totally depressed and they thought he had parkinson's disease and what not but he didn't have any of this i could see that neurologically he was perfect but it was just this anxiety that was completely bogging him down so i asked him a question i said do you have enough to sustain you for the rest of your life even if you were to lose all this property he said yes i have enough my children are well settled they are all mm. well to do you know i said then suppose i tell you that all this land is gone okay would it make a difference to your daily life he said no it wouldn't make any difference well, i am quite okay i said then you're wasting your life thinking about that and then i told him something funny 
I said, I am going through some court cases myself, you know, with, with the property and all of that. And I said, my case is also dragging on forever. But I don't let that interfere with my life, you know, because for me, I know that even if I would lose that, it wouldn't make a substantial, I wouldn't be on the street, you know, I mm. wouldn't be hungry. So when that's my situation, why am I wasting the rest of my life thinking about that? And I told him a Hindi sentence. I said, Gayal ki gati ghayal jane. In, in, um, in Hindi, it means only the wounded knows the pain of the wounded. Mm. So I said, I'm also wounded. So I know your pain, you know. And he started laughing. He couldn't su sustain himself. And his daughter who was with him, he's laughing for the first Aww. time in three months. And she took a video of him. <laughs> you probably didn't even need to give him a homeopathic remedy. That was probably all he needed. Yeah, yeah. That's what I felt. <laughs> even she said, she said, I don't know if he needs a remedy anymore. You know, we've uh -huh. been to 20 doctors and this is the first time he laughed. Aww. So it's just the homeopathic principle. You, I just mirrored who he was. And a lot and of that is actually, that's your book is about that. And it's kind of almost frustrating at the start of the book because, you know, you have these questions to Genshin Lama and, you know, about, well, what's the, if nothing matters, then what's the point? Then why are we striving? Like, even as I was reading it, I was thinking, Doing these podcasts, it cost me so much money because I have to, I'm now paying an editor because I can't do it all myself. And it takes so much time when I could be in the clinic. I'm like, why am I doing this? Am I doing it for fame? And I'm definitely not doing it for fortune because it's actually costing me money. But why am I doing this? You know, is it all ego? Like this is actually through reading this book, I was going through this process with you. Is it ego? Why am I doing what is driving me? And then these questions that you in Genshin Lama in the caves, and as you go through, is it Rikish Rishikesh? How do you pronounce that? The, yeah. yeah. As you're going on this journey, I feel like I'm going on this journey with you because I'm like, what is the point of it all? Maybe I just shouldn't do all of this because it's stressing me out. But then I feel like I'm doing this for a bigger reason to, you know, uh, bring homeopathy to the world to make more people wake up and to make them empowered and then i'm like well why am i doing this if it's, i should just none of this matters anyway why should i do it in the first place and this is why like the the book was so valuable because i think all of us in areas of our life have gone through exactly what you were going through here these questions of why are we doing this to ourselves why are we fighting these property battles which is making us unhappy when none of this really matters at the end of the day and then i love how the book has so many good valuable lessons in there and like you said it's about that awareness and just being aware about it watching the river and letting it flow instead of it you know bashing you all over the place like because of, like if you go down this existential path of what's the meaning of life then sometimes it can feel like never ending and it comes to the point of well what does it all matter we're all you know we're just all spirit we're all going to die anyway and so the, your book was so amazing in that respect that it really, it has such wise, wonderful answers in there. It was actually also very practical as well. Yeah. You know, the thing is that very often when we examine, we feel that what motivates us to do things is our ego. You know, mm. it seems like that initially, you know, I'm doing it to make money. I'm doing it to become famous. I want to become successful. I want to, you know, whatever. And you feel, oh, maybe this is the reason why I'm doing it. 
uh, if you look you know a little deeper at your own motivation mm. but when this ego itself dissolves uh, by awareness again mm. that's a spiritual awareness isn't it that the ego itself in some sense is a illusion and when that is who what's the ego you know who is who who am i you know i often say you know five minutes after you are dead you don't even have a name anymore they call you the body you know the body <laughs> yes john doe <laughs> even your name has disappeared you know so mm. is that what you are all you know your credit cards are of no use after that you know really you can't take them with you so what are you doing this for you know yeah so that by that awareness this motivation kind of dilutes i can't say it goes away because still we are there uh-huh. the ego will be there and it has a purpose and there is no problem with it but it goes down this motivation and then the real motive why you are doing it uh, becomes apparent and that motive is basically that all things in creation are interdependent and they are co-creating their reality mm-hmm. and they are playing each one is playing his or her or its role in creation itself whether it is the sun the moon the stars the mountains the rivers the fruits the trees the animals everyone is playing a role here and we have to uh, recognize what is our talent what is our skill set what potential do we have and uh, and what role are we playing if we can understand that then we become equal to an apple tree or a river or a monkey or uh, <laughs> even a worm or an ant they are all and we we doing the same and if we can let go of our you know ego identity then we simply merge with our role in creation mm-hmm. and that's that's a, it's it's you will still do everything you are doing but with a certain ease and no pressure and uh, with compassion also isn't it because this role is a compassionate role it's what you are contributing you know the river is contributing the tree is giving its fruit of course it is taking from the soil its mm-hmm. nutrient Mm. it takes and it gives it takes and it gives and that's who we are we take and we give we take and we give and nothing is for us anymore you know and one day when our time comes we will smile and disappear and so i think that else, that's yeah. a very important distinction to make because when you go down that existential path it's so easy to just think well i'm just going to like give everything away and go live in the bush because what's the point of all of this but what right. you're saying is it's like kind of keeping it in balance like yeah like you say giving and taking and just watching the river flow and just be, yeah it's yeah. because it, it can be really hard when you go go down this path of what's the point of it all like it would be so tempting to just go sit at the go live in the bush like why don't we all just go live yeah, in the bush yeah <laughs> i i think that uh, when you ask what am i getting from this then you see your uh, whole approach is is different because you may not be getting anything from it or as you perceive it but when you uh, 
really ask who am I and why am I here, then these questions kind of disappear. Because mm. you are as a part of creation, you are here and you didn't choose to be here. And uh, you are here like anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I think then you actually fulfill your role in a much better way. Because, you know, your mind is not clouded with what am I getting, what am I not getting, what I want, what I don't want. Am I, she's, you know, uh, for example, you know, we are doing this little talk together, you know. If, if uh, I start thinking, oh, um, this talk perhaps is going to result in, uh, you know, uh, huge sales of my book and people are all going to buy it and then, you know, um, whatever it goes on a bestseller list and this and that and that and that. And then I create all this fantasy in my mind. And then you see, the way I talk to you is going to be very different. I'm going to think, am I talking to fulfill that particular, you know, are my words going in that direction, you know? Uh, then I'll say, okay, all those who are watching this show will get a 10% discount on my book and all of that. You know, I go (laughs) in a totally different direction. But if I think, I think I learned a lot of things in my life from my gurus, my teachers, whoever they are, you know, could be a dog also. You know, my earlier book was called Dog, Yogi, Banyan Tree. It's about, the book is about, you know, finding teachers in a dog, in a, in a yogi and in a banyan tree. And what did I learn from them, you know? So it's a kind of uh, semi-autobiographical work which Mm. came about five, ten years ago. So what I'm saying is that whatever I have learned from these different experiences and teachers in various forms, you know, I have kind of condensed into this book. Mm. And uh, I felt that these learnings have helped me in a very significant way. You know, my life is easier. I can't say mm. I'm walking in the clouds right now. I'm human and I go through all the human trials and tribulations that are normal. But uh, yeah, life is easier. Mm. And uh, I feel comfortable in my own skin. And I'm ready to disappear, you know, uh, if necessary tonight. You know, I don't feel I have to live another. What If I live, I live. If I don't, it's okay. It's not a big issue. So I felt, the, I felt that calling, in fact, to uh, share these thoughts and these experiences. And especially not only thoughts and experiences, but to facilitate people to go through the same experiences, you know, through these. And that's why I felt, then I wrote to my friend, Laurie, you know, she's a very good friend of mine in Canada. And I wrote to her, Laurie, do you think that it's of any use to write this book? She said to me, Rajan, even if it helps one single person, I think it is worth it. Well, you have achieved your mission because it has deeply helped me. It was not in vain. And um it was it it you ma- made my day. You uh, made my day. <laughs> well, the feeling is mutual because it and and like you said, it's like we're just we're still humans at the end of the day. And like you said, we can only just strive 
for for pureness, for consciousness. We can always just strive for it. We're never 100% going to be there because they're still going to be, still going to stub your toe and you're still going to be maybe offend somebody or you're still going to do things in your life that's not perfect. But when you have this awareness and you are aware of, of what's going on and you have the intention to correct that and kind of be a better person, I don't even know if that's the right word to use, but if you're actually just aware of that and like you say, watching that river, and being aware of that, that's that's probably what it is at the end of the day. Because I'll tell you what, Rajan, I was very, very nervous about talking to you because you had this incredible, world-renowned authority in homeopathy. And we all in the homeopathic world love you so much. We owe you so much for the works that you have given. So I was trying to think of some very, you've been interviewed probably thousands of times worldwide. And I was thinking, how can I think of some clever questions to ask you that you haven't been asked before? And then as I was reading your book, I was realizing, this is all just ego coming in here. And I'm actually going to just follow the advice of your book and actually just let today be. Just let us chat and see what comes up. And I know that there's going to be somebody listening to this podcast that's going to get something from this. It's going to help them in their life. And I know that at the end of the day, that's the real reason why I do this. And that awareness, I hope, is enough to achieve the goal that it needs to achieve. <laughs> yeah, so good to hear, actually. By, by the way, your voice is very nice. You've got such a beautiful voice. <laughs> well, I think yours is nice too. And speaking of nice voices, this will be a nice segue for us into the raga. I didn't know you have such a good singing voice. Yeah. So, you know, these ragas are basically Indian classical music melodies. Mm. Which each raga is a kind of a pattern of notes. It's in, in the Western music, it's more linear, you know, you go from A to B. But in Indian classical music, it's more cyclical. So you come back to the same point and you remain within the paradigm or the parameters of a melody. Each melody consists of specific notes that are sung in a specific way and very repetitive also. It's so, I, I YouTubed you and there are some beautiful videos of you singing ragas. It's really, really nice. And I had some of them playing in the background while I was working yesterday. It's beautiful. Yeah. So what I, because I have been studying, uh, you know, uh, classical music since a long time, you know, learning, singing, etc. So I discovered that while there are like uh, thousands of ragas in Indian classical music, there are 40 or 50 which are quite um, popular, well-known. So, <clears throat> I discovered that each raga has a specific state of being, you know. It's like a, it produces in people a certain emotion, a certain experience, a certain energetic pattern, etc. So, and I thought, why not we can use this uh, in as a healing uh, tool and therefore, I did um, testing of 25 of these ragas on a set of people over the COVID time. Because in COVID times, we had nothing better to do, you know, <laughs> sitting at home. <laughs> so I got a bunch of people from all over the world. And we used to do that every week. We would do one raga. And uh, that way, we collected data of 25 ragas. And I put that into a kind of an algorithm and created an app, which is called the Raga Therapy app. So you can see that on Google Play Store, on, on Apple Store. 
with a capital R, that is the symbol of it, R. And uh, you, if you go to that Raga therapy app, it will ask you a series of four or five questions of how you feel and how you want to feel and et cetera, et cetera. And if you, you know, uh, mark your choices, then from the algorithm that is inbuilt, it will choose the right Raga for you that matches your state and I will sing that raga for you for about 15 minutes. That is and, uh, so cool. Uh, we'll yeah, definitely have yeah. the links for that in the show notes of this podcast. And it's right. uh, through the Sampurnam Healing website, sampurnamhealing.com forward well, slash raga. Or, or you can find the app uh, in the app store as well. Hey, You can find it in the app store. If you want to read about it, you can read Sampurnam Healing, S-A-M-P-O-O-R-N-A-M healing.com. You will find, you know, little notes about this uh, app and how I came to it, etc. But just to tell you a very old story also, there was a <clears throat> emperor in India. His name was Akbar. He was a Mughal emperor, uh, roughly in you can say 1500 or something like that and uh, he was a great connoisseur of the arts and in his um, darbar in his court was a very famous composer called Tansen who was almost like the Beethoven of India you can say like that you know and uh, once it seems that Akbar had a lot of uh, like um, problems with his country and you know it felt all very hopeless and uh, it, it was desperate for him things were not working out and he came back very very depressed and tired and uh, he called the composer Tansen and he said uh, can you compose me something that can relieve me Mm. And Tansen composed the melody called Darbari. Darbar means court, but he just gave the name Darbari. And uh, when we did the proving of Darbari now, you know, when we tested it out, you will be very surprised to know that the predominant experience of the testers or the provers was of great depression and hopelessness. And heaviness in homeopathy, we would link it to the remedy called aurum metallicum or gold. Mm. And that's what came out. So Tansen was a homeopath too. You know, he's just unbelievable. That <laughs> well Buddha and the Tansen and who who knows who else, you know. Most people are a homeopath because I've never done this, but I've heard that if you get if you have a very bad hangover, then apparently if you start drinking again, that helps your hangover. I've heard that. I've never tried it, but anyone who's ever done that is also a homeopath. <laughs> so <laughs> the homeopathy is everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. It is everywhere. I also found that homeopathy is also a part of you know the world of art and painting, and uh, the world of uh, movies and stories, and novels, and, uh, you know, even humor. My next book is about humor, where I'm going to tell certain jokes from my own life, you know. Uh -huh. And I'm going to write an analysis of these jokes as to what is it that this joke mirrors in you that makes you laugh and heal. That's why they say laughter is the best medicine. 
because it has to be homeopathic. It has to bring some awareness. Yeah. He jokes in a funny way, makes you aware of something in you. Otherwise, it cannot provoke laughter. You know, That's by laughing with yourself, you mirror. So I think humor is homeopathy too. And everything is homeopathy. In fact, you know, when you read the news, when you see, you know, violence, when you see what is happening, for example, today, you know, in the world, you know, in, in Ukraine or whatever, you know, what does it do to you? You know, forget what's happening in Ukraine. But when you read that, what happens to you? Mm. What do you relate with? What experience do you get when you turn your attention inwards and not, you know, not always what what's happening there and what is this and what is this and what is that. But when you see something, when you or in a crisis in your own life, when you have a discord with, you know, your partner or whoever, you know, if you turn the mirror inside and see what does it do to you, mm. then you throw light on your own internal pattern and uh, which rules your life, you know. And each one, it will be so different, you know. If you talk to 10 people about Ukraine, you'll get 10 completely different viewpoints because each one comes from himself. So if you become aware of that, you, every opportunity in your life, every crisis, every news, every art, every movie, every joke becomes your homeopathic remedy. Well, maybe you, you've just given us a segue into the next part from shadow to light. Yeah. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that as well and, and your why, the wise therapy? And you talked about I, I actually called my staff. I said, you have to come and watch this, the part where you showed people the photo of Mount Everest and how yeah. it evoked all these, nobody is the same. Can you maybe like talk to us a little bit about that? Because I know we're running short of time, but I would love for you to tell our listeners about your next level of work that you're going into, if we have time for that. Well, this is going on for quite some time already. Mm. Vice is a short form for witnessing inner song experience which basically means you witness the pattern which is inside of you, which is an experience. It's not an emotion. It's not a thought. It's an experience, a bodily and emotional experience. And we found a kind of a shortcut to facilitate people to witness this. And that is certain processes, which is called wise processes that I originated. The most simple one I can tell our listeners today is to take just a, a blank piece of paper and a pen and doodle something without thinking, without reasoning, without logic, just scratch something, you know, just make a, a pattern there, you know, without any logic and uh, as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. And then just take your time and just look at it. Keep looking, 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 looking at what is there and without interpreting it and without classifying it or without trying to even understand it just use it as a kind of a tool to look within you what experience does it produce inside you which may be totally unconnected with what's what you have done there you know it's not about that it's about you this will act as a catalyst to stimulate you know your consciousness or awareness of your own pattern 
that's a very simple you know wise process you can say like that but we have devised many like that and i wrote a book called from shadow to light on how to use these wise processes to look within and also to locate your own homeopathic remedy or that of your client oh amazing and yeah, i yes. i you're a very funny funny man right and if if homeopathy ever doesn't work out for you which you know it sounds like it's going pretty well for you so you might not want to change careers but if you ever do decide homeopathy is not for you anymore you should become a stand-up comedian because you are a very funny man the way that you described go- a, a doodle you said it's something like the closest thing you can do without being institutionalized or and then and then right. where in the video you were saying about what a doodle would sound like you're going to have to tell our listeners a little bit about that <laughs> yeah, basically, right. Why I started with a doodle is because in the world of you know adults, you know you cannot do anything that is irrational. Then you are considered a little crazy, isn't it? You know, suppose I'm just sitting and talking, and I go, <laughs> I think you won't do any podcast with me anymore. You know? You'd probably send me to a psychiatrist. So you are not allowed. In, in some sense to do so we suppress it you know but children can do you know children can bark and children can roll and we say wow look at this beautiful child you know what funny things right so doodle uh, is the one thing that we do unconsciously you know when we are talking to somebody or there's a boring lecture and mm-hmm. then we you know we make a pattern it has no sense at all so in fact it looks like the doodle is the only irrational thing we are even allowed to do you know without getting institutionalized yeah. and totally uninhibited hey like a doodle doesn't have a, a reason behind it it's just it's completely yeah. uninhibited yeah so if we do more things like that uh, you know uh, i think that uh, we will become more and more aware of what's going on inside so in i i do retreats in india you know five day retreats and i take my patients and my colleagues there we are like 20 30 of us in a very very beautiful nature place and uh, for five days we just do all these things we do wise wow. processes we do meditations we do music we do rhythm we do uh, you know connection with nature we do vegan diet we do you know all and five days and we are off the telephone totally we are not allowed and uh, it's a it's a very deeply healing experience for them and for me as well do you do this at the sampurnam healing center or is this done Correct. somewhere yes, yes, okay yes. i'll make sure we i connect that, that. Uh, yes. link that in the notes our next our next retreat is in the early week of september uh yes and the other thing that i do is these wise uh, processes we do uh, we have done two very big um, wise webinars one in germany which involved 750 people and in brazil which involved 400 people and we did eight weeks of that like every week for eight weeks we did a different wise process mm. and the results have been quite significant so we did statistical survey of the people before and after and we found that their quality of life across various parameters had improved very significantly in statistical terms. So that that's what nice. we did in Germany and Brazil. We did eight, eight uh, 
webinar, eight wise webinars in a series, one, two, three, four till eight, every week for eight weeks. And what we also did, we had special, you know, techniques of partnering people with each other. And it was, it's amazing what, uh, what, and these webinars, if you want to, if people want to view them or whatever, are available. They are all online available. The German ones, at least, which are also in English, they are bilingual on a, on a website. I can put it all in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that we're getting, we're running out of time, but I'm wondering, is there maybe a last message that you want to leave our listeners with? Firstly, about how they can get hold of your work. I mean, anyone can really just Google your name and it'll be the very first thing that will come up. But maybe is there any any last message that you want to leave our listeners with? You see, um, if they want to get hold of my work, there are many possibilities. One is, as you said rightly, there are a lot of YouTube videos of mine. There are probably more than 250 YouTube videos and they are all for free. And uh, they are on meditation, they are on music, they are on homeopathy. Mm -hmm. So this is something that is easily accessible. Secondly, the book that I wrote now, Manji the Boatman, is available on Amazon, etc. Mm -hmm. etc. So it's easy to get. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, for people who are interested in my homeopathic work and or the wise processes, there are books on that. One is The Shadow to Light, which I wrote just now. And uh, there are, I wrote about 25 books now and on all aspects of my evolution. So that is available on my website, onlinehmp.com. I've got about and, uh, five of them behind me. So I've still got a 20 more to go. 20 right, more right, books. Right, <laughs> right, right. And uh, recently, we have just launched something called the Shankaran Masterclass for homeopaths who want to follow me from the beginning till this current level. We have a five-module masterclass where I will be guiding students, mentoring them in a way personally. There's, a, there's online content, mentoring online content like that. So that is something I would highly, highly recommend because... If you follow one teacher from the beginning till the end, and my method is very comprehensive. It's not. Uh, it's not just about sen it's sensation or. It's an something. evolution. It's, really it's a comprehensive. I use repertory materia medica, mm -hmm. everything in sync, you know, in synergistic way. So this course is very good. So there are a lot of possibilities uh, to follow me. I'm quite uh, spread out. You say ubiquitous. <laughs> you can say. <laughs> <laughs> oh Rajan it was just so magical I actually there was there was one little I don't if it's a short answer you can answer it if it's a long one not but the son of your brother from another mother Misha Nolan his son uh, Luke said to ask you how old you were when your father got you to repertorize your first case well I think I'm probably about 12 or 13 years old when wow. I was when because those times there was no software, you know, all mm -hmm. that had to be done manually. So he would bring cases and he would say, just take these rubrics and uh, find the remedy, etc. So I had to do that work for him. So I sometimes joke and I say, luckily, child labor laws were not <laughs> so, you know, strict in those times. Otherwise, I could have got him arrested, you know, the way he. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it definitely paid off in the end by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, I became a professor of repertory and I held that position for 30 years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> professor of repertory at age 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Rajan. I hope you have a beautiful day and thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge thank with you, us. Thank you, Eugene. And yeah, it was nice. Thank you so much. It was a great day.